Nether Words. Read for you by Charles Logan. Two-Handed Engine by Henry Cutner and C.L. Moore. Part 5 What went wrong? Danner asked. In the past week, he had changed a good deal. His face was taking on, in its impassivity, an odd resemblance to the metal mask of the robot. Hartz struck the desk edge a nervous blow, grimacing when he hurt his hand. The room seemed to be vibrating, not with the pulse of the machines below, but with his own tense energy. Something went wrong, he said. I don't know yet. I... You don't know! Danner lost part of his impassivity. Now wait, Hartz made soothing motions with his hands. Just hang on a little longer. It'll be all right. You can... How much longer have I got? Danner asked. He looked over his shoulder at the tall fury standing behind him, as if he were really asking the question of it, not Hartz. There was a feeling, somehow, about the way he said it, that made you think he must have asked that question many times, looking up into the blank steel face, and would go on, asking hopelessly until the answer came at last, but not in words. I can't even find that out, Hart said. Damn it, Danner, this was a risk, you knew that. You said you could control the computer. I saw you do it. I want to know why you didn't do what you promised. Something went wrong, I tell you. It should have worked. The minute this business came up, I fed in the data that should have protected you. But what happened? Hartz got up and began to pace the resilient flooring. I just don't know. We don't understand the potentiality of the machines. That's all. I thought I could do it, but... You thought? I know I can do it. I'm still trying. I'm trying everything. After all, this is important to me, too. I'm working as fast as I can. That's why I couldn't see you before. I'm certain I can do it if I can work this out my own way. Damn it, Danner, it's complex. And it's not like juggling a comptometer. Look at those things out there. Danner didn't bother to look. You better do it, he said. That's all. Hartz said furiously, Don't threaten me. Let me alone and I'll work it out, but don't threaten me. You're in this too, Danner said. Hartz went back to his desk and sat down on the edge of it. How? he asked. O'Reilly's dead. You paid me to kill him. Hartz shrugged. The Fury knows that, he said. The computers know it, and it doesn't matter a damn bit. Your hand pulled the trigger, not mine. We're both guilty. If I suffer for it, you- Now wait a minute. Get this straight. I thought you knew it. It's a basis of law enforcement and always has been. Nobody's punished for intention. Only for actions. 
I'm no more responsible for O'Reilly's death than the gun you used on him. But you lied to me. You tricked me. I'll... You'll do as I say if you want to save yourself. I didn't trick you. I just made a mistake. Give me time and I'll retrieve it. How long? This time, both men looked at the fury. It stood impassive. Danner answered his own question. I don't know how long. You say you don't. Nobody even knows how he'll kill me when the time comes. I've been reading everything that's available to the public about this. Is it true that the method varies just to keep people like me on tenterhooks? And the time allowed. Does that vary, too? Yes, it's true. But there's a minimum time, I'm almost sure. You must still be within it. Believe me, Danner, I still can call off this fury. You saw me do it. You know it worked once. All I've got to do is find out what went wrong this time. But the more you bother me, the more I'll be delayed. I'll get in touch with you. Don't try to see me again. Danner was on his feet. He took a few quick steps towards Hart's, fury and frustration breaking up the impassive mask which despair had been forming over his face. But the solemn footsteps of the fury sounded behind him. He stopped. The two men looked at each other. Give me time, Hartz said. Trust me, Danner. In a way, it was worse, having hope. There must until now have been a kind of numbness of despair that had kept him from feeling too much. But now there was a chance that after all, he might escape into the bright and new life he had risked so much for. If hearts could save him in time. Now, for a period, he began to savor experience again. He bought new clothes. He traveled, though never, of course, alone. He even sought out human companionship again and found it, after a fashion. But the kind of people willing to associate with a man under this sort of death sentence was not a very appealing type. He found, for instance, that some women felt strongly attracted to him, not because of himself or his money, but for the sake of his companion. They seemed enthralled by the opportunity for a close, safe brush with the very instrument of destiny. Over his very shoulder sometimes he would realize they watched the fury in an ecstasy of fascinated anticipation. In a strange reaction of jealousy, he dropped such people as soon as he recognized the first coldly flirtatious glance one of them cast at the robot behind him. He tried farther travel. He took the rocket to Africa and came back by way of the rainforests of South America. But neither the nightclubs nor the exotic newness of strange places seemed to touch him in any way that mattered. The sunlight looked the same, reflecting from the curved steel surfaces of his follower, whether it shone over lion-colored savannas or filtered through the hanging gardens of the jungles. 
All novelty grew dull quickly because of the dreadfully familiar thing that stood forever at his shoulder. He could enjoy nothing at all. And the rhythmic beat of footfalls behind him began to grow unendurable. He used earplugs, but the heavy vibration throbbed through his skull in a constant measure, like an eternal headache. Even when the fury stood still, he could hear in his head the imaginary beating of its steps. He bought weapons and tried to destroy the robot. Of course, he failed. And even if he succeeded, he knew another would be assigned to him. Liquor and drugs were no good. Suicide came more and more often into his mind. But he postponed that thought because hearts had said there was still hope. In the end, he came back to the city to be near hearts. And hope. Again he found himself spending most of his time in the library, walking no more than he had to because of the footsteps that thudded behind him. And it was here, one morning, that he found the answer. He had gone through all available factual material about the Furies. He had gone through all the literary references collated under that heading, astonished to find how many there were and how apt some of them had become, like Milton's two-handed engine, after the lapse of all these centuries. Those strong feet that followed, followed after, he read with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy. He turned the page and saw himself and his plight more literally than any allegory. I shook the pillaring hours and pulled my life upon me, grimed with smears. I stand amid the dust of the mounded years. My mangled youth lies dead beneath the heap. He let several tears of self-pity fall upon the page that pictured him so clearly. But then he passed on from literary references to the library's store of filmed plays because some of them were cross-indexed under the heading he sought. He watched Orestes, hounded in modern dress, from Argos to Athens, with a single seven-foot robot fury at his heels, instead of the three snake-haired Irenees of legend. There had been an outburst of plays on the theme when the Furies first came into usage. Sunk in a half-dream of his own boyhood memories, when the escape machines still operated, Danner lost himself in the action of the films. He lost himself so completely that when the familiar scene first floated by him in the viewing booth, he hardly questioned it. The whole experience was part of a familiar boyhood pattern, and he was not at first surprised to find one scene more vividly familiar than the rest. But then, Memory rang a bell in his mind, and he sat up sharply and brought his fist down with a bang on the stop button. He spun the film back 
and ran the scene over again. It showed a man, walking with his fury through city traffic, the two of them moving in a little desert island of their own making, like a Crusoe with a Friday at his heels. It showed the man turn into an alley, glance up at the camera anxiously, take a deep breath, and break into a sudden run. It showed the fury hesitate, making indecisive motions, and then turn and walk quietly and calmly away in the other direction, its feet ringing on the pavement hollowly. Danner spun the film back again and ran the scene once more just to make doubly sure. He was shaking so hard he could scarcely manipulate the viewer. How do you like that? He muttered to the fury behind him in the dim booth. He had by now formed a habit of talking to the fury a good deal, in a rapid, mumbling undertone, not really aware he did it. What do you make of that, you? Seen it before. Haven't you? Familiar, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Answer me, you damned dumb hulk! And reaching back, he struck the robot across the chest, as he would have struck hearts if he could. The blow made a hollow sound in the booth, but the robot made no other response. Though when Danner looked back inquiringly at it, he saw the reflections of the over-familiar scene running a third time on the screen, running in a tiny reflection across the robot's chest and faceless head, as if it, too, remembered. So now he knew the answer, and Hartz had never possessed the power he claimed. Or if he had, had no intention of using it to help Danner. Why should he? His risk was over now. No wonder Hartz had been so nervous, running that film strip off on a news screen in his office. But the anxiety sprang not from the dangerous thing he was tampering with, but from sheer strain in matching his activities to the action in the play. How he must have rehearsed it. Timing every move. And how he must have laughed afterwards. How long have I got? Danner demanded fiercely, striking a hollow reverberation from the robot's chest. How long? Answer me. Long enough? Release from hope was an ecstasy now. He need not wait any longer. He need not try any more. All he had to do was get to Hart's and get there fast before his own time ran out. He thought with revulsion of all the days he had wasted already in travel and time-killing, when for all he knew his own last minutes might be draining away now, before Hartz's did. Come along, he said needlessly to the fury. Hurry. It came, matching its speed to his, the enigmatic timer inside it ticking the moments away towards that instant when the two-handed engine would smite once 
and smite no more. Thank you.